It's good to uh, be with you again as we are doing, uh, working through the uh, book of 1 Thessalonians and as we're in chapter 4, we are looking at uh, a walk that is genuine. We've been talking about a church that is genuine, that is authentic. Now we're looking at their walk uh, as Paul talks about sanctification and especially love and and, uh, you know, how to, uh, uh, the purpose of purity and all of that. And so uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer at this time as we uh, begin our study, as we begin our uh, time of uh, worship uh, with uh, God's Word. Father, I just want to thank you for your love and your grace. And we ask that your grace and its sufficiency touch our lives in a very special and wonderful way as we Uh, Listen to your word and allow the Holy Spirit to speak to our hearts. May you uh, deal with us in such a way that will be beneficial uh, to our walk with you. And may we see that and may we adhere to it and may we uh, be more effective as uh, kingdom people uh, to bring honor and glory to your name as we live it out. For I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want us to uh, think about the beginning of our uh, Christian life. As we look at this passage um, this evening, when you first became a believer, what was involved? Just think for a moment. Think about that question. When you first believed, what was involved? What was involved with your first step as a believer? I know you probably are thinking about Hearing the gospel, and that was one of the things that was involved. I know you're probably thinking about understanding what the gospel was saying as the Holy Spirit was revealing to you the truth. You probably uh, uh, was thinking about Jesus being the Savior of the world. That was being revealed to you. uh, Dying for your sins and being raised again so that you could have this new life. But then there came a step that needed to be taken. Responding to the gospel. How did you respond? Paul tells us faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God from Romans. Also, he tells us in another book in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, it's by grace that you are saved through faith, and that not of your own doing. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest we should boast about it or could boast about it. The key word that I'm looking for is faith. Your Christian walk began with a step of faith. We receive what Christ accomplished on the cross by faith. We also need to understand with that first step of faith how this phrase, how Paul uses it in this passage uh, with walking uh, is, you know, how it's to be used. I mean, whether we see definitely the word faith, it is a continual walk of faith. That's what he's talking about here. That's what he's wanting us to understand. And the key word that 
that uh, we also need to look at in this passage that goes along with this faith is walk. And it's an analogy for movement. That's what we're going to be looking at. And to make this walk, to have this walk, for it to be effective, for it to be genuine, for it to be authentic, we need that faith to continue. We've got to trust the Lord. You know, the, uh, it's, it's kind of like running the race that Paul talks about in uh, Hebrews. Uh, but here he's using walk, as he often does in many of his writings. So it's a step-by-step experience of faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. So we're going to be looking at faith walk today. Faith walk. The genuine Christian life consists, first of all, as I've already shared with you, of a walk. The Christian walk would consist of at least three concepts. Walking involves going somewhere. Walking assumes a goal or a destiny. What is your destiny? What is your goal as a believer in Christ? Verse 1 tells us, Finally, brothers and sisters, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you learn from us how you ought to live, and hear a key phrase that I want you to understand, and to please God, as in fact you were doing, you should do so more and more. This walk involves pleasing God. Paul tells us in Galatians that if we're trying to please men in our walk, then our walk will not be approved by God. We've got to be pleasing God. Appearing at the judgment seat of Christ to receive our rewards demands a life that walked by faith, pleasing God. Walk by faith, pleasing God. For it's impossible to please God without faith. So that walk must involve faith. The Bible talks about Enoch walking with God. And then one day, he walks with God on to heaven he was no more here on earth it was closer to heaven that last time that he was walking with God that was his true home than here on earth so Hebrews tells us that Enoch pleased God he pleased God in his walk he walked by faith John eight twenty nine tells us that Jesus lived to please God the Father. We should live to please God, our Father also. We're brought into that family relationship by faith in Jesus Christ as we believe in Him as our Lord and Savior. And we're to walk in that faith, continue to walk in that faith, trusting Him every day. Uh, walk by faith that honors Him and pleases Him. 1 Thessalonians 2, 4 tells us, But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God who examines our heart. Paul tells us why. We, sh we should be pleasing him instead of men. 
uh, pleasing God instead of men. Paul is letting us know that men only see the outside, but God sees the inside as well as the outside. You hear people a lot of times judging people's motives, judging their heart. We can't really do that. We can judge a, 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 state, uh, a statement or, or judge something that's been done to a degree, but we can't take it further to the heart and see what was really being said from the heart, what the person meant. And this is what Paul is saying. He's saying, man, you, you need to please God. You need to learn to please God. That means that men won't always understand why we do certain things. Now here's a question we've got to raise as, as believers, and that is, uh, what course are we taking? What course are we on? What destiny are we moving towards? What goal are we trying to accomplish? Is our walk pleasing God? Is our goal to please God? Then if it isn't, then we're off track. On Judgment Day, every believer will find out if their life had been uh, lived for themselves or for, uh, or for pleasing others or if it was lived to please God. Now, let's go back to walking. Walking involves going somewhere. In other words, you've got to have a destination. You've got to, you've got to have that goal out there. But not only that, walking involves progression. If you're moving towards a goal, a destiny, then uh, movement will involve steps. It involves progression. Something we feel that our Christian walk consists of oftentimes is a progression we hope. But sometimes it's, it's like we're taking two steps forward and three steps backwards. It should be three steps forward at least and two steps backwards. We're going to unfortunately uh, falter along the way and that's, that's unfortunate. But we should always be, uh, should be making progression. We should be moving forward. It's like teaching our, our, our children, our young babies as they grow older how to walk they begin to crawl and then they they begin to uh, take that first step and what do the parents do they stand out a little ways and and they catch them if they begin to fall but they take that first step now sometimes they'll just drop down and start crawling again and then they'll pick them back up and put them up there and and have them uh, take that step and then little by little they'll move back and that child will take more steps and this is progression towards the parents that's the goal and the heavenly father is there with outreached arms he's looking at us and he wants us like Enoch one day walk no more here on earth but he he moved on to heaven we just want that progression getting closer and closer to God fuller and fuller of God every day the thing about the setbacks is that they should not keep us from progressing if we get into some type of quicksand it can soon become critical and so critical to the point that it stops our progression at least for a while 
until somebody pulls us out to safety. We need to keep our eyes focused on the goal, on the finish line. You know, I, uh, like I mentioned before, I tried to play a little football, and, and I also ran some track and wasn't uh, very good at either one of them, but I, I, I especially did not care too much for long-distance running. But I like the short, 100-yard dash, uh, you know, 100-meter, I think, today. But uh, I like that, the uh, running the hurdles. I even did some of the, that, but I would run relays, uh, 440 relay. But they always told us, one thing that they told us to do is not to look to the right or the left, but to keep your eyes focused on the goal. And that is the finish line. And, uh, you know, just keep moving forward. Because if you start looking to the sides, then your muscles will begin to work against you and, and you're uh, easily to get distracted and stumble and fall. Walking also, not only does it involve going somewhere, that destiny, that, that goal, but it involves progression, as we just talked about, but it also involves dependency. If you think about it, if you don't have your legs to depend on, then you're not going to be moving. And so you need those legs to get you moving. And when we're walking, there's a dependency upon our legs, like with the little children. Because soon they feel wobbly with their legs, and what do they do? They go back down to crawling. They feel safer there. But they're building their muscles and, and their stability there to stand and to, to make those steps as we teach them to walk. Hold them up and help them move forward. And there is a dependency upon one leg after another moving us forward. Well, in the Christian life, there should be that dependency upon the Lord to take us where we need to go. When we become selfish and independent in our walk, it is when we uh, begin to run into to danger, if you will. There's a need in our walk to moment by moment walk by faith with the goal of pleasing God, to yield our lives to the Lord, be dependent upon Him, knowing and realizing that we wouldn't be where we are without Him. Knowing and realizing that that's why the world thinks different than we think. That's why the world does not have the hope that we have. It's because we are dependent upon the Lord and His promises and His Word and what He's done for us. And it all started back when we heard the Word preached or we heard the Word shared or we were reading the Word and the Holy Spirit speaking to us and we saw that need that we couldn't make it in our life on our own. That we, you know, that we were going in the wrong direction. That there was judgment awaiting us. The judgment for our sins, that which uh, is, uh, you know, damnation, eternal separation from God. And we realized that we needed the Lord and that we had hope in Him and that that there was uh, the promises that he, He offers to us of eternal hope and eternal blessings with Him if we would just place our faith in Him and depend upon Him. It all began with that dependency, and it should continue with that dependency because he tells us that 
that once we become a Christian, we have the Holy Spirit at that point to come and live within us. His Spirit. And that Holy Spirit leads us and guides us as we allow Him to teach us and to show us, especially through the Word of God. And we are to depend upon Him for that. Otherwise, we'll get sidetracked. Otherwise, we'll be doing things that are, are worthless. Things that will not amount to anything. And, and, and a lot of times, things that will get us into trouble. But then, fourth thing here, Walking is excelling. Walking is not reaching a point of satisfaction. It is not saying I started out with a destiny to walk to the end of the street. I have come halfway and that's enough. No, that's, that's not. I'm content with that. You know, it's, it's like working at your job and, and you learn, you almost learn what you need to learn to accomplish it effectively on a day-by-day basis and to keep learning to make it even better. You settle for, oh, I almost learned it. I'm comfortable here. You're never going to be there. That goal's not going to be reached. You've come halfway. Halfway's not good enough. It's not stopping when problems arise. As so often that we do, we want to give up. We want to just say, hey, that's enough. I'm tired of that. Our circumstances change and difficulties come our way. And and we say, no, I, I, I think that I was satisfied where I was. I was content where I was. Or we just get tired in our our journey or our run like I said I didn't care for long distance running when I was running but this is the kind of run where you know you don't get cross country you don't get halfway and you you see this marker and you say okay I'm halfway I'll walk the rest of the way no you keep on running or I'll just stay here no it's you know it's it's not becoming content where you are it's not settling for what God would uh, be dissatisfied with. It is not becoming complacent. That is what we call a maintenance Christian. A Christian just holding on to what they have. God has called us to be transformed. And that transforming comes by the renewing of our mind. And that renewing of our mind comes by way of the Holy Spirit Uh, showing us and teaching us and saturating us with the Word of God so that when we go out, we can live by faith through His Word, realizing this is what He tells us to do and obeying it in faith, knowing that He has promised us whatever comes with that uh, commandment or whatever comes with that, that hope or whatever comes with whatever He's teaching us to be there. We know it. How do we know it? Because it goes, we go all the way back. And we see that other people were saved just like us. And by faith we were saved in Jesus Christ. And it all began there and it continues. He's not going to let us down. He continues with us. He's a God that we can depend upon. It is what we call in sports or music or whatever we work at, getting better at what we do. 
<clears throat> that can only happen when there's a dependency, a continual dependency upon the Holy Spirit and where there is a step-by-step walk of faith allowing the Word of God and the Spirit of God to conform us to the image of God. This is the, the first part of it, these different aspects of it. But the genuine Christian life involves steps with it also. And we're, <clears throat> we're just going to look at a couple of them at, right now, and we'll look at the rest of them next week. But one of them is a genuine Christian walk involves marching orders. Now, that's very important. Commandments is a military word that involves marching orders. And the marching orders come from the commander-in-chief. And the commander-in-chief with the Christian should not be ourselves. It should not be the world. It should not be somebody else. It should be the Lord Jesus Christ. The world, Satan, and that which is opposed to God will always try and get us to march in the opposite direction as that which the Lord wants us to, uh, to, to march in. Our orders are to come only from one person, and one person only, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. If we're to, uh, told to live and to do things which we are in deep opposition or direct opposition to the Word of uh, God, then we're to refuse that. We're only to obey that which the Lord has us to obey. Now, you say, but my boss tells me to do this at work, this, uh, or my boss tells me to do that at work. Well, that's fine. As long as you're doing unto the Lord and it's not in opposition to the Word of God. If He's telling you to do something that is in opposition to what Christ would have you to, to do, then then you should not be doing it. I should not be doing it. Any, no one should be doing it as a believer in Jesus Christ. You say, well, I won't have a job. Well, you know, there, we sometimes are faced with that, unfortunately, and we have to move on. We have to, to move to something else. The genuine Christian walk involves more than one step of faith. For this is the will of God, he says in verse 3, your sanctification, that is, that you abstain from sexual immorality. Now, the word sanctification is a big word for many people. It was a big word for me. I remember when I first heard it, I said, sanctification, what does that mean? Well, when I was first born again, like I said, I, I would not have known what this word meant. But to help us understand it, we need to understand two other words that need to go with it. And they're big words, too. The first one is justification. And this basically deals with our standing before God. How do we stand before God? Well, in our sin, we stand as sinners to be judged. We condemned ourselves because of our sin. It involves justification, though, involves us standing before God, being uh, justified, being uh, born again. Uh, we, by faith, have received Christ as our Lord and Savior. It's a legal declaration of righteousness that has been applied to us at the time uh, we received Christ by faith as our Lord and Savior, that we received His forgiveness for our sins, that we were born into His forever family, 
You see, God is perfect, and he'll not allow anything less than perfect to dwell with him for eternity in his kingdom. So how in the world are we ever going to be able to dwell with him for eternity in his kingdom? Well, by his righteousness being applied to us. And how is that done? Well, Paul tells us, he who knew no sin, Jesus, became sin for us on the cross. He died for us so that we could become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. So uh, now we can go to heaven because Christ's perfection has been applied to our imperfect account imperfect account his righteousness was credited to our account it was not because of anything that we did or could do Paul tells us uh, not by righteousness which we have done but according to his mercy God's mercy he has saved us as we come to Christ God credits his righteousness to us and therefore at the judgment bar he declares us righteous not because of our righteousness but because of Christ's righteousness that was declared to us justification is our declaration of righteousness now another word glorification and I you know I'm just going to briefly mention this but it's another term we we do need to understand with sanctification to understand it properly. It is our presentation of righteousness. What do you mean by that? It's when we are transformed from this world to be with the Lord forever. We're glorified. As Paul tells us, this mortal will have put on immortality. We will be forever in the presence of the Lord. We will be in this perfect state. So, Justification is the beginning of the process. Glorification is at the end of the process. And the beginning of all eternity for us. And sanctification is the process of moving from justification to glorification. It's the road that takes you from the start to the finish. It is the upward climb from justification to glorification. It is a process where we progressively become more like Christ. Paul says, this is the will of God, that you become more like Christ. He picks out one area for this church to work on. They were excelling. They were a great church. But he said, there's one area that I really want you to excel on, and, and that is something that had been around them and as lost Gentiles and, and other uh, uh, lost people, they had seen this and, and some of them may have been a practice of it. But uh, he said, you're a great church, but you've got to excel. And one area in particular is morality. During Paul's day, there were not any cultural rules, so to speak. They had plenty of enticements. No moral restraints like we have today. He, uh, and he was uh, establishing them uh, through the church. And, and this was brand new. Uh, like in Corinth, uh, immorality was uh, part of worship service even. Uh, you would uh, go to church and, you, you know, there was immorality there. 
They had a temple in Corinth with a thousand approved prostitutes who would help you in your worship. So the question arose among the Christians, what do we do with our passions? Good question. What do we do? It was normal in their environment to fulfill those passions. And in our world, that's, it's normal. If you have a desire there, a passion, then just go ahead and fulfill it. It was a, you know, uh, it, it was okay thing, and it's okay for many people today in their thinking. But Paul tells them, "You're pleasing God now. You're not to please men nor yourself necessarily. Only God." In verse three, abstain from sexual immorality. Why does God condemn sex outside of marriage? He does so. Not because it's bad, sex is bad, but because it's good. It is so good, he wants to keep it special. It is so good, he wants to keep it unique. It is so good, he wants to keep it a wonder for that special person. And because it is so good, he restricts it to marriage couples. Paul tells us that one mark that you're walking right in your, uh, is your sexual uh, purity. Uh, one way we can tell that we're, uh, we're believers and that we're moving in the right way is sexual purity is, is a priority in our life. Now is this easy? No. This is why Paul is addressing it. They, were, they still had their old flesh. They were new creations in, our, in, in Christ, just like we are. In our day and time when, uh, you know, it seems very few, if any, are, are marching the drumbeat uh, that Paul's talking about here of sexual uh, morality. Uh, you know, he, um, purity, he, he's, uh, he says that uh, we're not to please ourselves and others, just like they were not to please themselves and others but to please God and there's different reasons for this given for a walk of purity in the area of sexuality in verse 4 that each of you know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and uh, honor he's saying moral purity keeps you special in the eyes of God verse 5 not in lustful passions like the Gentiles who do not know God. To live a sexually immoral life makes you look like everyone else, Paul says. You live like the Gentiles who are driven by their passions. He says they don't fight it. They don't flee immorality. They don't run from it. The Bible says flee immorality. Joseph ran from it. And then in verse 6, that no man transgress or defraud his brother in this matter. Sexually, immorality is stealing. What have you stolen? Well, you've stolen that other person's fellowship with God. Once you commit that, you put that sin between them and God. And second of all, you've stolen their purity from the one with whom God has set it aside for. Yes, if that person is to be married, then he has a person for them. People don't think that way, though. They don't think along uh, that line today. 
nor did they at that time as Paul was teaching them. In verse 6, the Lord is the avenger in all these things, just as we also told you before and solemnly warned you. God will judge us for our immorality. We shouldn't do it. We should realize that. There's consequences with that. And verse 7, for God has not called us for the purpose of impurity, but in sanctification. Immorality, it frustrates God's calling. In other words, he has a calling for us, and it works against it. And uh, we shouldn't uh, allow anything in our lives, as we recognize this and as we know about it, to uh, work against what God has called us to do. And then verse 8, Consequently, he who rejects this is not rejecting man, but the God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. God has given us the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit within us to overcome immorality. And when we yield to immorality, guess who we take with us? That is right, the Holy Spirit. So we control him instead of him controlling us. In essence, that's what we're doing. How can we be controlled by the Holy Spirit? We must walk in another realm, the spiritual realm. We must allow the Holy Spirit to control us. He, we must allow him to bring us into God's heavenly realm. It's just like as I, I've shared before, you know, with the, the weight. You may not be able to lift a 1,000 pounds here, but it might be different. Uh, and it is different if you go where there's no gravitational pull. So we must allow the Holy Spirit to take us to that place, that new realm, that spiritual realm. And these are the uh, involvements, uh, first two involvements of this uh, genuine walk or authentic walk. And we need to be very alert to this, just like he was telling the Thessalonians to do. We need to walk by faith. Walk alertly. How Paul tells us in, in Ephesians to walk circumspectly. In other words, walk alertly. Be alert. How can we be alert? By walking in faith. Step by step, day by day, depending upon the Lord. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your challenge, your conviction, your instruction. And I just pray that we will be all that we need to be. I pray that your word and your spirit will be allowed to help us to walk in that realm that we need to walk in, to bring honor and glory to you. For I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.